Matthew chapter 22. We're going to continue our series. I thought I was going to pause on our series, God Breathe the Holy Bible, but I'm going to preach part five with a special emphasis placed on love your neighbor here on Mission Share Sunday. And gracious Father, I pray that you would speak these next few minutes to us through your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law in the prophets. The question asked by this lawyer, this is not a lawyer like we think of a lawyer. He was a man skilled in interpreting the Jewish Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, also called the Pentateuch in the law of Moses. The question asked by this lawyer, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Is answered by Jesus. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5, which talks about loving God. And then he quotes Leviticus 19, verse 18, which talks about loving your neighbor. I love this about Jesus. Whenever he was tested, he always went to what is written. When Satan tempted Jesus, when Satan tempted and tested Jesus, he fought back with, it is written. We see this in reading Matthew's gospel, chapter 4. When the lawyer asked Jesus his question, he pointed the man back to the Bible, the foundation of all truth. Can I hear a big Amen. Jesus says to this lawyer, this expert, the first and greatest thing you call the Old Testament, the law of Moses, he says the first and greatest thing you can do in this life is love God, and the second greatest thing is love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing greater. Jesus says something else. He says something else in his answer that is often overlooked but is worthy of special attention. He says on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is an amazing statement. Jesus says everything else in the Old Testament, in the Bible, depends on loving God and loving your neighbor. This lawyer didn't ask that particular question. Jesus in his And his response went beyond what was asked. He wants us to be stunned, church, at how important these two commandments are. He wants us to stop and wonder. He wants us to to spend more than a passing thought on his answer. And so he adds, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, loving God is invisible. It is a matter of the heart, an inward passion of the soul, but it comes to expression outwardly when you love others. Loving your neighbor is the outward, visible, public expression, the practical demonstration of your love and my love for God. Loving God is made visible by loving your neighbor. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35, 
By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so there is a sense in which the second commandment to love your neighbor is the visible goal of the whole word of God. It's not as though loving God is not in view here because it is or that loving God is less important. Rather, loving God is made visible in full in unconditionally loving our neighbor practically and sacrificially. Jesus says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. What does he mean as yourself? If the basis of loving our neighbor is the way we love ourselves, then it's important to start with what it means in biblical terms to love ourselves and work back to loving our neighbor from there. It's straightforward. Throughout the Bible, it is assumed that we love ourselves. It's a part of human nature, part of what it means to be a human being. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it when he wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 5.29, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. You see, a well-balanced and healthy understanding of what it means to love yourself is based on the biblical truth that you are wonderfully loved, cherished, and cared for by God, extravagantly and sacrificially. Just like the song, Reckless Love, so powerfully and beautifully conveyed. You see, the the believer's self-love is rooted in the fact that we have been made in God's image according to God's likeness and have a relationship with him. We are to care for ourselves. In the reality of this truth, we're to care for ourselves based upon the fact that he has provided for our salvation. Can we say thank you, God, for Jesus? We're to care for ourselves based upon the fact that he has provided for us our salvation in Christ Jesus, given us the Holy Spirit and developed a unique plan for our life that when fulfilled will bring him much, much glory. Amen, church? Oh, he has an amazing, a unique plan for you, a unique plan for me. Isn't that glorious? Oh, how he has a plan to glorify and magnify himself in ways beyond we can even imagine or think. When Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself, he simply was emphasizing how important it is to love your neighbor, to be sincerely concerned for others' welfare and well-being, just, just like you are for yourself and, and also for your family. When Jesus answers, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he's quoting from the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is a command. It's not open for debate. In chapter 19 of Leviticus, we have a clear understanding of what loving your neighbor looks like. We don't have time to walk through all of that this morning. I encourage you to read the whole chapter this week. But in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, the Lord commands his people, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. And do not pick up what the harvesters drop. 
It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. A command, not open for debate. God cares about the poor and needy. The fact that Jesus quotes from Leviticus 19 as part of his answer reveals to us how important the poor and needy are to him and should be to those who are recipients of his reckless, amazing, unconditional love. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, the Lord commands his people, saying, For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, and your needy in your land. And Proverbs 19.17 says, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. And Proverbs 21.13 says, Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Proverbs 22.9 says, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Jesus said, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer in Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 through 40. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, surely I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. This is the mission share theme verse. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Jesus, one day, while in the synagogue, he stood up and read from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, a prophecy describing his earthly ministry. He reads from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Turn, if you will, please, for just a moment to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Just these few, few verses alone really give us a clear picture and, and understanding of the heart of God for the poor and needy, the broken in our world, in our community. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. This is a very familiar story. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And sometime during Jesus' ministry in Judea, he encounters a lawyer... Again, like in Matthew's gospel, this is not a lawyer like we think of a lawyer. He was skilled in interpreting the Jewish Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and and Deuteronomy. This expert in the Old Testament law asked Jesus a question. Look at verse 25. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
The lawyer's question is an important one. But Luke tells us that the lawyer has an underlining motive to test Jesus. This skilled teacher of the law, this man who knew the five books of the Old Testament, backward and forward, inside and out, was testing this unofficial Galilean lay teacher to see how well he will answer difficult theological questions, but Jesus doesn't answer the question. I love this about Jesus. Instead, he turns the question back to the lawyer. Look at verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Remember uh, what I shared earlier Whenever Jesus was tested, he always went to what is written. Here in Luke, as we saw in Matthew, he pointed the lawyer back to the Bible, to the foundation of all truth. This is so critically important. I'm going to talk more about that next week. This is a valuable insight for us today. When we find ourselves being tempted or tested, go to the foundation of all truth, the Holy Bible. Can we say that together? The Holy Bible. I love Psalms 119. Verse 114 says, You, O Lord, are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Isn't that beautiful? So Jesus is basically saying to this lawyer, You're an expert on the first five books of the Old Testament. What does your expertise tell you Tell you is the answer to your question? Look at verse 27. So he answered it and said to Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God. This lawyer says to Jesus, this expert in the old T law, he answers Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This lawyer quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. This lawyer recites what Jesus has termed in Matthew 22, the great commandment to love God and love one's neighbor. Jesus compliments him on his answer. Look at verse 28, and he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Now, I want to pause for just a moment. It's important to note here. Contrary to some who interpret this passage as to teach that salvation, righteousness, is obtained by doing good works or just plain wrong. Plain wrong. Jesus sent the expert back to the law, not because the law saves us, not because good works save us, but because the law shows us that we need to be saved. We can never be good enough. You see, there can be no real conversion without real conviction. And the law is what God uses to convict sinners like you and me, like this lawyer. The expert gave the right answer. But sadly, he would not apply it personally To his own life. How many of us, before we judge this lawyer, this expert in the law, how many of us are like this lawyer? We can give the right answer, but we fail to apply God's truth 
to our life. As we move on in the story, the Jews typically interpreted neighbor in the terms of the same people group, the same race and religious community, that is fellow Jews. The power of God's truth that the lawyer has spoken is too much for him. As you read and as you read through this story, it's just too much for him. By his own words, he has correctly stated the heart of the, the law, the word of God. Love your neighbor as yourself and is now deeply convicted by this truth. But he knows he's not living. He's not applying this truth to his own life, feeling very uncomfortable. Are there parts of God's word that you know it's true? but you're not applying it, and boy, it makes you uncomfortable. It, come on, it brings conviction. I think this was this guy, this, this expert in OT, in OT law, feeling very uncomfortable and convicted about the reality of his own life. He asked Jesus a second question. Hey, I'm going to try to move on. I'm going to ask him another question. Change the, change the subject, maybe. Look at verse 29. But he wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I can just imagine the attitude in which he asks his question, and he tries to justify his definition of neighbor. Luke tells us that his first motive is to test Jesus. His second motive is to justify himself, justify his thinking, justify his behavior. We're not like this lawyer, are we, church? to defend his own limited interpretation of neighbor. Jesus answered the lawyer's second question by sharing a parable, a story about a good Samaritan. And follow along as I read the story. The story, <clears throat> let me get my glasses here. I'm going to pick up at verse 30. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion." And so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. For which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Jesus places in his story two well-known figures in society, priests and Levites. Both held positions of authority in the temple. They represent the religious people in Jesus' story. They would be returning to Jericho from the service, from worship in the temple there in Jerusalem. In Jesus' story, both the priest and the Levite see the wounded man, very possibly a Jewish man, and they pass 
on the other side of the road. Let's just say that this monitor is this man who was beaten, robbed, and left for dead. And, and here, comes, here comes this Levite and, and this priest, these religious people, and they just left their church service. They just left worshiping God, and they see this man, and they go to the other side. They go to the other side. They go to the other side. They keep on walking, choosing not to help him. Now, Jesus' story piques the attention of this lawyer, this expert in OT law, as Jesus introduces a Samaritan into the story. And Samaritans were hated in Jesus' day by the Jews. I wish I had more time to really talk about the history of the relationship between Samaritans and Jews so you can have a really a, a greater appreciation for this incredible parable. In John 4, 9, I'll share this, says, For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There was deep hatred, dislike. I love Jesus. He brings a Samaritan into the story. I just love it. For Jesus to introduce the Samaritan as the caring person, after a priest and a Levite had neglected to help, was like pouring gas on the fire. The lawyer was already squirming with conviction. The Samaritan traveler doesn't move over to the other side of the road like the priest and Levite did, but when he sees the wounded man, he had compassion. We just read, he had compassion. He cared for the wounded man. Look at verse 34. And so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The Samaritan's love of his neighbor proved costly. He used his own supplies to clean the man's wounds. He didn't go down to Walmart and asked Walmart if they could donate some band-aids he, he used. Maybe he tore something of his own garment to, to help wash and clean the wounds and to bandage this man up. He, he used his own clothing to bandage him, his own animal to carry him while the Samaritan himself walked his own money to pay for his care. Look again at verse 35. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Love can be costly. Love can be costly. The love that we share through the ministry of mission share can and is costly. But love can be costly just think of the cross, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus looks into the eyes of the expert in Old Testament law and he asks a question. Look at verse 36. So which of these three? Which of these three? The Levite, the priest, the good Samaritan, do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? The lawyer answered in verse 33, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. The answer to the lawyer's question, and who is my neighbor, is answered clearly in Jesus' story. The person in need. This was dropped in my heart many, many years ago in room 217 when I was the youth pastor, but I never forgot it. 
we had a guest speaker and he was doing some leadership training and he said this to the group in 217. I've never forgot it. The need becomes the call. This Samaritan was like Jesus. Like Jesus, he was colorblind. Like Jesus, he was compassionate. Like Jesus, he was caring. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says the first and greatest thing you can do in this life is love God and the second greatest thing is love your neighbor as yourself. And when we do, we will be colorblind, we will be compassionate, and we will be caring. And God will get all the glory. Can I hear a big amen, church? As I conclude this message today, I want to share a story. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Dan and I were in Long Island for the New York Network Assemblies of God conference. If you remember, last May, we hosted the conference here. And plus, I had two meetings with the executive staff of Adult Teen Challenge. Their, their headquarters is there on Long Island about opening the, a referral center um, here at the Mission Share Outreach Center in September, as Brother Vic shared. And then the coffee house, like AA, on Friday nights come January, 365 um, um, days a year, um, every week. And then, um, as the Lord provides, a, a new uh, residential home. And so I had a couple meetings. And very excited what God is doing. And I'll have to share it another time. Some amazing things, how all this is coming about. Something that God began just to stir and speak to my heart back in October of last year. It's an amazing God story. While we were there, Michael McNamee, the founder and executive director of Convoy of Hope Europe, spoke in one of the morning sessions. Convoy of Hope, for those who don't know, is a faith-based organization, a part of the Assemblies of God that provides resources worldwide to meet physical, social, and spiritual needs with the goal to see communities transformed and restored to a level that will provide the opportunity to create sustainable change um, in those communities and in those people's lives. Well, Michael, he shared about growing up in Northern Ireland and he had that Irish accent really, really deep during a time of conflict and war. Very, very, very poor. Not sure where his next meal would come from and through a series of events and just tremendous need in his own life, he ended up a terrorist for 13 years in the Irish Republican Army incredible testimony of God's saving grace. He shared one day, while very, very hungry, a woman approached him and gave him a sandwich. She gave him a sandwich. That act of kindness was the beginning of a friendship that eventually led to him coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and being radically saved and transformed. And now he ministers the gospel in 50 different countries throughout Europe. Isn't that an incredible story, church? Incredible. He said something that moved me deeply. This is what he said. 
me coming to Christ. My gospel transformation story all started because she gave me a sandwich. Church, I can't remember anything else said during the conference. The only thing I remember is she gave me a sandwich. I got teary-eyed. I thought of Mission Shear, the moment he said it, of Mission Shear Sunday. And this is true. Pastor Dan will tell you, thoughts of giving everyone a sandwich when they leave service today on Mission Share Sunday were racing through my mind. As a visual reminder to love your neighbor, these thoughts were racing through my mind and Dan's just not saying anything. He's just listening and I'm a, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. She, she gave me a sandwich. I went all the way to Long Island to hear that. She gave me a sandwich. Jamie, I, we return and 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 the next Tuesday's our staff meeting and, and what did I share in our staff meeting? Guys, I was sharing, Vicky was a part of that meeting too and it's like, I want to give a sandwich on Mission Share Sunday after service to everybody. I want to give a sandwich. And they're all looking at me like, oh, pastor. Oh, pastor. It's true. It's true. Well, we decided that we're going to give everyone an ice cream sandwich today. With a card. With a card that reads, this card right here, you're going to receive with your ice cream sandwich. With a card that reads, you are the recipient of a small act of kindness. In the near future, if you can, use this card to pay, pay it forward and pass on an act of kindness. A friend loves at all times. Proverbs 17, 17. On the other side of the card, it says, here is another way to show kindness in our community. Mission Share Outreach Center. For more information, visit missionshareoutreach.org. I close with these words. She gave me a sandwich.